Blog Talk Radio. I think I did. I don't remember. 
Well, he'll probably remember. But uh, he was at the club. He He's a big fan of the Sugar Shack. Oh, that's great. That's great. We uh, we welcome aboard. Yeah, I told him to call in around uh, 10 past 1, so give us a little chance to catch up here. Yeah, Tom, uh, you know, we talked about that uh, Tavares event in the... Where was it? Sweden uh, they were playing? The Netherlands. Netherlands, yeah, the Netherlands. And uh, we were going to call the manager and uh, get a contact out there and see if we could bring the show out there. Yeah, I got to call David. I've been pretty uh, pretty busy on my end, but that's one of the things to do. We're yeah, trying to get... Yeah, we're trying to get the... Cool in the gang this uh, coming week, next week. Oh, yeah. Well, what we'll have to do is call them the... We can't reach them, or they haven't reached us, so what we have to do is call them the night before because they usually check in a day early. And uh, right. uh, make them aware that we're coming. Uh, we want to send a couple of people out there and uh, to do the interview, you know? Exactly. I'm sure, that, I'm sure there won't be a problem with them. We had a good, we had a great relationship with them. Oh yeah, yeah. So we're excited about that. I don't know how else we can do it other than the. the they open on the 16th, I think. What is yes. That? Yes. The 16th. So uh, we'll have to call them on the the 15th. Well, yeah, you know, the other thing I just thought of, I wonder if uh, Bill Blumenwright has uh, ever used them at the Wilbur. He may be able to get in touch with them for us. Yeah, maybe. Uh, have you been watching the Blumenwright schedule? Any new, uh, any A little bit. He's always, all his stuff makes all the billboards here. So, But I'm going to go to his site and see specifically. But... He does a great job of uh, posting all over the city. Oh, he does? Yeah, he has great, great billboards. So, we'll do that. And, uh, but, yes, I'll, I'll call uh, David and uh, see what we can do about thinking of uh, doing a tour over there in the Netherlands. Yeah. Because you know why? Everything is so goddamn expensive out here. You wouldn't believe it. Oh, the I can. They, we talked to that guy, Don. The arenas, yep. they want 70% of, uh, of your, the gross, you know, and all that. So wow. who the hell wants to put the show out here unless, uh, I don't know, I, I, I'd rather take a show out there to, with a mini, like, four or five groups call it a mini festival. Yeah, yeah. You know, if, if, if it ain't that expensive and the house don't want the kind of revenues that the, uh, that the houses want out here, the arenas or the the the, the showrooms, they want an arm and a leg. They want to be your partner today. Yeah, more than a partner, they want to control. And I don't think it's that way out there yet. I don't think they're that 
kept the rob and the honest, I think they uh, they would want to welcome the show, you know? Like well, I like your idea of uh, doing a, a mini Sugar Shack night with about four groups. You know, sell out the uh, the Wang Center or something, and uh, well, make it a. Go ahead. And then send the same group out uh, there. You know, we could do that. Yeah, I mean, imagine we bring back the uh, OJs and um, you know yeah. Tavares and. Uh, you know, and then, you know, you'd have to fly back here, of course, and we'd bring you back on and and we'd sell the place out based on that alone. You'd have to wheel me on. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll hop along. <laughs> uh, well, a lot of things going on, and, you know, it was encouraging to hear yesterday that uh, – Eddie Levert may be speaking to Stevie Wonder soon. Well, he's going to the... In fact, uh, the, uh, I, I should have mentioned it. I'm trying to get my... Uh, uh, the funeral for Natalie Cole Monday in right. California. Did my daughter explain it to you? Yeah, she did. So I hope that she gets to go out there. Right, I, uh, I told her you could fly out there. Maybe Chuck can meet you out there if he's not uh, doing anything and you can go to the funeral and represent the Sugar Shack. It'd be great. So uh, we're waiting to see if we can get her on the list. Unbelievable. So, that would be fantastic. So, yeah, so that would be good too, you know. And uh, yep. Eddie, I talked to Eddie and uh, we were joking around about a lot of things and... Uh, and he says that uh, he's going to the funeral, and he'll see if he can hook up Stevie with us. Cause he'll that, be well, that, Rudy, when that day happens, you can uh, you can be moving things over on your on a shelf to put on an Oscar. <laughs> well, let's hope we keep our fingers crossed because my kids are getting tired. I talked to them at great length yesterday on a three-way conversation in regards to trying to do a show that Don wants to do in Detroit, you know? And, uh, oh, nice. Yeah, but I said that there's, there's, there's no funds uh, over there, you know? Uh, not that I'm knocking the, the, the Detroit area, but we couldn't do it, I says. We got to try and get something going in Boston, like uh, with the Wang Theater, and then uh, I like the idea of the Netherlands because I think, uh, like I said earlier, the, I don't think the stadiums and uh, that help that they want half the revenue. Well, Rudy, I just thought of this. It's right under our nose. We should contact Bill Bloomer right and use the the um, the Wilbur. Well, that's only a thousand feet. Oh, okay. Well, then have him. Hey, wait a minute. Here's Skippy now. Hang on. Ladies and gentlemen, this is an honor, a privilege, and you are listening to two unbelievable Boston legends, Rudy Carino, and now joining us, Skippy White of Skippy White's Records. Skippy, thank you so much for calling in. Tom, that's a big buildup. I don't know. Can, can you live up to it, Rudy? 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a big fan, fan but that's that okay. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it's nice talking to you, Skippy. And, uh, Same here. I'm glad you come on. Uh, those were great years when the Sugar Shack was going. Everybody was booming and all the acts and everything. Right. Uh, everything was all kind of uh, uh, excitement up Blue Hill Ave. Yeah. <laughs> I understand now that the Sugar Shack was open for 10 years, right? 67 or 77, is that it? Right, right. Yeah. Well, and you certainly we made a lot of noise in those 10 years. That's right. The reason why we closed is we moved to the Somerset Hotel because oh, yeah. the downtown area got so bad and there were mugging people and everything. And uh, so we moved up there and everything was going beautiful for about nine months, less than a year. And then the hotel went bankrupt and they threw us all out. That's how oh, the sugar Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that the uh, Somerset went bankrupt. I know that they... At one time, WILD was uh, housed at the Somerset Hotel. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to remember what year it would have been. Probably, they had I, it, it must they have been after that. I think it would have been into the 70s. Yeah, well, they, we closed there, uh, I think, in the 70s, uh, right after close to 77. Okay, okay. Yeah, because right. it might have been after we closed that they probably went in there when the new owners must have opened up. I don't know what happened. I closed up shop and I said, the hell with this? Let me go to Miami. Yeah. Because of uh, the winter, I couldn't move around here. It was too goddamn cold and slippery. Yeah. And I said, the hell with it then, you know? Were you still getting the crowds at the Somerset that you were uh, downtown? We were getting even more. We were, wow. getting more, we were getting a lot of the white crowd back, you know. We had right. a swimming pool there. There was a swimming pool in the in the club. Yeah. We had well, it's too bad that you had to close. Uh, either that or it's too bad that you weren't able to find another location at that time and keep the thing going. Oh, yeah. You know something? If we had enough time, I could have got some people together. We probably could have bought that goddamn hotel if they yeah. lasted longer, you know? Right, because right. Because the boom again, you know, with the uh, new well, people, area. You know, people in this area in Boston, they still talk about the Sugar Shack. It's still something that, uh, you know, the crowd has not forgotten. Uh, you know, it's still like a legendary nightclub. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. And uh, Tom brought that all out for me. I never knew it. <laughs> now, Rudy, you you opened you opened before Louis Lounge closed. You must you must remember Louis Lounge at the corner of Washington Street and Northampton Street. Uh, they they closed, I think, uh, the latter part of 1968. And you opened the Sugar Shack in '67, so there was a little um, time that, that both clubs were going. Yeah, and then there was another club going there. Uh, yes, uh, ba Basin Street South. Yeah, Basin Street. I was just thinking. I don't right. know if they closed when I opened, but they were going. They, they were, were they, they were going. 
Wild Man Steve used to MC and put on uh, those shows. He used to bring in uh, people like Marvin Gaye and Diana Ross and the Supremes and, you know, some of the, the, the big Motown acts, whereas Louis would bring in B.B. King and Bobby Bland and some of the more bluesier acts. Yeah, yeah, but, uh, I, I, yeah, I remember them. Yeah. In fact, I remember the Supremes uh, working when they were not that big at the Basin Street. Uh huh. They worked there, right? Uh, yeah. They, as a matter of fact, I believe they came to Basin Street the first time when their first really big smash hit, "Where Did Our Love Go," was was hitting big. Yeah. Yeah, well, that I remember. would have been, um, what was that, about 63, 64? Yeah, something around there. Our yeah, that's the big first time they came. Our first big act, if you remember, was Wayne Cochran. Okay, okay. He, he was a white guy imitating all the black music that I found in Miami, and I said, what the hell is this all about? Yeah. Uh, he was working at the Peppermint Lounge. I and see. I says, what, what kind of music is this? I says, I couldn't believe it. he was doing Sam and Dave, Wilson Pickett, and uh, all the, all that kind of stuff, you know. And, uh, and and he had a great horn section. He had about ten uh, horns up there, you know. Sounds like and a forerunner the, to the uh, Blues Brothers. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah right, yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, that's where I got the idea. Then I come back and. Uh, Somebody was peddling a sugar shack pub, but they wanted to make it a dating bar, and I went and looked at it. I said, this is too big to be a dating bar. It was, it was the, the former Vienna room where we put the sugar shack. You remember the Vienna room? No, I don't think I do. I don't remember the Vienna room. You remember Steuben's? Uh, oh, Steuben's, uh, I remember. That name is familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Steuben's was the restaurant, and downstairs was the where the Sugar Shack went, was the Vienna Room. Okay, all right. Well, it was like a farmer nightclub before, and all the big acts uh, at the time used to work there. He had, I think, Jerry Lewis there. He had a lot of big comics there and everything. Oh, but they okay. Closed, they closed, and when I went to look at the place, I told my friend, I said, this is too big for a dating bar. You know, so I went along with the, the group of guys. It was three of us. And uh, we start, We decided to go along with it. And then they said to me, I, I suggested Wayne Cochran to open the club. And okay. they said, right. We voted on it. We went. And uh, we sold out for two weeks. Then they said, wow. get another pack. So I got Wilson Pickett. And uh-huh. Wilson Pickett put a place apart. So then they saw so much money, they said, no more. Go to the data bar. <laughs> uh-huh. So we're going to go broke with a data bar. This place is too big to be a data bar, you know? So was and Wilson that, Pickett the first uh, black act that you, uh, yeah, you had Wilson, at the Sugar Shack? Right, Wilson Pickett. Okay. Yeah, he bought, in fact, Boston College called me and they says, we want Wilson Pickett, give us Wilson Pickett. I says, when do you want him? Saturday. I says, what do I do with my Saturday? And he says, 
We'll give you a police escort. Yeah. A police escort back and forth. I says, and what time do you want them on Saturday? They, they says, uh, we can use them at 4 o'clock. I oh. says, that's good enough. We can make it. I oh. actually did a, a television show on Channel 7 with uh, Wilson Pickett. I think it was around 1970. <clears throat> so it probably would have been right after that, well, a few years after that. And we, oh. we did a little, it was a little talk program. I forget who the moderator was, but uh, basically the subject was, what is soul music? <laughs> and Wilson oh. Pickett and I, you know, talked about it back and forth. Oh, that's great. That's great. He was like a wild man, that guy. One yeah. day, uh, we had him in Florida, and I get a rush call, come to the club right away, and uh, what's going on? Wilson uh-huh. Pickett has got a gun. He wants to shoot the whole band. And there's a manager <laughs> calls me. He wants to shoot the band. Then the manager calls me. He says, get in there and grab that gun away from my says, Hey, what do you think I am, Superman? <laughs> wow. Well, you know, he drank a little too much, uh, so Pickett co- could go off the edge every now and then. Yeah, but I went in there and I calmed him down. I said, you shoot the man, and who, who's going to back you up? I said, let's do the show, and we'll shoot the band after. I'll help you. I said, the band is I said, the show. Wow. I saw the band is Yeah, pick it with oh something God. else. Well, Pickett, but, um, Pickett, now did did Pickett. you uh, after after you had closed up here in Boston um, and went down to uh, Florida? Did you open up a club down there too? I had a club going going while the Sugar Shack was going. It was called the Swingers at the Marco Polo Hotel. Wilson oh, okay. I had uh, Al Green. Uh, in fact, wow. I put a little ad coming Al Green the whole. The hotel was so low. We had a we had a showroom upstairs, and yeah. we had to put uh, Al Green in the showroom because uh, yes. the reservations. Yeah, so we you, did well, a lot you booked Al Green both places, Boston and uh, uh, Miami. Right, 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 right. We had Wilson Pickett, Frankie Valley. Well, one of the biggest shows we had was the Emily Brothers. Oh yeah. Okay. When they made up. The agent gives me a call and says, Rudy, you're lucky. We want to play Florida. And you're the only place that we can think of. The right. reunion for the Everly Brothers. And I says, great. I says, so he gave me a 10-day deal, uh, deal. We opened on a Friday. They worked Friday, sellout. Police came, lines around the block. Saturday, <laughs> Saturday, Monday, they were gone. <laughs> they had a yeah. fight broke up again. Yeah, they broke up again. They made up up at the club, and then they broke up at the club. (laughs) Yeah, we had some fun days, though, down there in the 70s. Yeah, you had had the the Parliament Funkadelic with George Clinton uh, a number of times, right, at the uh, Sugar Shack. The, the OJs in uh, the parliaments became uh, like a, a, a lead group, and also the Lords. Do you remember the Lords? 
the Lords local group, a local Boston group, the Lords. I remember right. them, I'm sure. Right. They they bailed us out a million times when acts uh, got jammed up and couldn't make it. One okay. of the biggest acts time and day when they first came, uh, they uh, they canceled and the Lords uh, uh, came in and helped us out. Then from then on, I used the Lords all the time when an act canceled out. Sure. Uh, now, was their manager a young lady by the name of Virginia? You, you remember, remember that Virginia name? Virginia I don't know her last name. Wilkins, I think. Virginia Wilkins. Yeah, that's it. Wilkins. Virginia, she used to call me all the time, and uh, you keep me up to date on what was happening with the Lords. She managed uh, the Indigos. Okay. Yeah, that was another local uh, Boston group yeah, that did that's pretty well. Group. Yeah, she managed them, and... Uh, God rest her soul, wherever she is. Yeah, uh, I don't I mean, know. I haven't heard from her in years. Yeah. So uh, that was funny. Uh, she managed the Indigos. I remember her very good. Right, right. So when when um, you first opened there, uh, did it take a while before uh, the Sugar Shack became the popular place to go, or was uh, was was it divided between folks going to Louis Lounge, Basin Street, and Sugar Shack? How did that work out? Well, what happens uh, when we opened? Uh, we had uh, three tremendous weeks: two with Wayne Cochran and one with uh, Lisa Pickett. Yeah. And then uh, the group decided to turn the place into a dating bar. So I told them we're going to lose all the money we just won with a dating bar. They said they didn't care. They didn't want to take any more chances. Some guy that owned the beach ball. You know the beach ball in the Revere Beach? I remember it, yeah, yeah. He told one of the partners, he says, I lost 75000 last year. He oh. says, what does Rudy Garino know about his business? <laughs> I see. <laughs> so my partner says, That's, that was the story that they told me why they wanted to go with a data bar. They says, well, what do you know about this business? And this guy's been in business for years, and he lost 75000 last year. All right, so, so that, that's how smart he was. Right, so that's what happened. And the uh, club went to uh, uh, a disaster area in the game. Right. For about five or six months, we lost all the profit we made. Oh. And uh, we did, uh, one of the partners decided to close the club up. So I told him, I said, listen, what if I put my money up and if I can turn it around I'll pay you back. We all put $14,000 each to open it. Okay. Three, three people. I says, uh, what if I uh, turn around and put some money in and see if I can pull it out? If I can pull it out, I'll give you back your money. But I don't want to be held with interest or anything like that. I'll give you back the 14000 as we go along. Yeah. One of them agreed. The other one was a tough cookie. <laughs> I went to him. He says, what do you think? I'm a jerk. I says, I'm a jerk. <laughs> I did not say that. He says, well, you talk to those other jerks. He says, I either want my 14000 or let's close the club up. 
Oh, I said, you don't leave me much choice, I said, you know. I said, that's another risk. I said, I thought I would put my own money in and see if I could pull it out, and you got a shot at getting your money back. Right. He wasn't interested. He wasn't interested. So, so what, what did a, you do? how did you get rid of him? Well, listen, I get a call, and uh, Sam and Dave wants to come. Wow. I says, well, Sam and Dave, I says, I can pull it out and give them their money back. So right. what I did is I went to the jukebox people. I says, how much of an advance can you give me? They gave me 2500 I went to the cigarette machine. They gave me another 2500 so I went to the good fellow, and I says, "This five, I owe you nine. He says, no way. Huh. I says, well, what do you want? This 5000 that's good faith money. What the hell's wrong with you? What do you want? Not a something. <laughs> yeah, because if you if you just closed it down like he wanted to do, he wouldn't get his fourteen grand back. He wouldn't get a cent. That's why, he, you know, some of these good fellas, they don't have brains. They just have strength. Yeah. You know? So, uh, anyways, uh, he calls me back and uh, he says, I'm trying to get the other 9,000 together because uh, I had to pay uh, Santa Day 15,000. Huh. They had that big record, uh, Soul Man. You so, right. what happens is he calls me back. He says, Listen, I'll give you a deal. On the 9,000, you only pay me 1% interest every week. Huh. I says, You. You got it. You got it. So for three weeks, I paid him interest. And then when Sam and Dave, the date came and uh, it was about a month, the place was packed. But they didn't get there for rehearsals and all that, so I was worried. I didn't right. charge nothing. I didn't charge nothing. I said, uh, I, can't, I can't charge the, the, the people the money, and then I have a confusion Pay in the back because I had a feeling they wouldn't show. They didn't show. Huh. So what happens is I get a tap on the back and it's the Lord. He says, "I think you're in trouble." I says, "Who are you?" <laughs> We're the Lord, the local group. I says, "Go get your equipment." <laughs> so they, they ran. They got their their instruments and everything, and they got up there and they stopped playing and we made an announcement. I got a call that Sam and Dave, something happened to them, and uh, they wanted to reschedule the date. Uh. So we turned around, and uh, we made the announcement, open house, no charge, nothing. The next day, we were mobbed again, so I started charging a dollar. Yeah, a dollar? A dollar is what you were charging the public? A dollar, yeah, to get in. So wow. on the weekend. On the weekends, we went to $2, Friday and Saturday, and uh, we made a ton of money. So just then, one of the good fellas comes knocking on my door that the guy wants to come back in. He made a mistake. <laughs> I throw him out on his ear. <laughs> I says, listen, and these people were big people, you know, and I says, listen, I like that guy. I says, but he doesn't make sense. Right. Business-wise, he doesn't make sense. I says, I'd even go along with him. I says, but he's he's a guy that would interfere with my operation, what I want to do. You know that down the road, he, he'd give you more trouble. 
Right. He's giving trouble because he, he didn't make sense. He refused half his money on a, an attempt for me to give him back his money if I pulled the club out. So I says, I don't want to do business with a guy like that. So he says, uh, the other guy says, uh, uh, well, if that's your last decision, I says, yes, it is. And he says, uh, we had a sit down, like, and I says, that's it. And he oh. says, well, then you got to do one thing. You have to pay the 9000 by tomorrow. I oh. says, where and what time? <laughs> <laughs> so, in other words, you had made... You had made enough money with the Sam and Dave booking that you were able to pay the nine grand and got rid of him. You hit the nail right on the head. That's what yeah. happened. Now, so Rudy, wanted... what, what kind of money? What kind of money were you paying Sam and Dave in those days, where the tickets were a dollar and two dollars? What, what, what kind of money did you have to pay? Them? I charged the dollar with the loss with Sam and Dave's. Uh, it was fifteen thousand for the week. Oh, the whole week. Yeah. 15,000. That's seven days. Yeah. All right. They did how many shows? More, two shows? Two shows a night. Yeah. All right. So you're talking 14 shows for 15 grand. That's uh, it's about $1,000 a show. Yeah. Now, naturally, uh, the weekend is going to be your most crowded Friday, Saturday, Sunday is when you're going to get the big crowds. Yeah, we know we were crowded every night. Every night it was packed, packed. Is that right? Oh, even uh, even Monday through Thursday you did well. Yeah, opening night of all packed. Yeah, fantastic. We had crowd. One of the crowd, cool in the gang, opening night it was a dollar. There was nine hundred dollars we made at the door. Of course, it is. <laughs> we only paid them thirty five hundred for the week. Well, I was telling I was telling Tom um, that I did a little booking over at uh, uh, Louis Lounge, you know, where um, Louis would uh, allow me to bring an act in, and I would pay the act and do the advertising, and I would get the door, and of course, naturally, he would get the liquor and the and the food, and I brought in BB King one time. Now, BB King's price at that time was nine hundred dollars. You imagine wow. what 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 his price went to uh, before he died? What twenty five grand? And well, I, it was one I night think. when I didn't do well. We didn't have a good crowd. We just for whatever reason we just didn't have a good crowd. And at the end of the show, we go into the uh, the room, the counting room, and uh, he's there with his uh, road manager. And he said, "Well, Skip," he said, uh, "What's it look like?" And I said, "Well, BB, you could see the crowd yourself." Uh, we didn't do that well. He said, what do you got for me? I said, I have $600. He said, I'll take it. That's the kind of B. guy B.B. King was. B.B. was the nicest, one of the nicest guys you, you ever want to know. Yeah. In fact, I forgot what I paid him at uh, Sugar Shack. I can't remember. But what happened was uh, I went to Vegas to do the shows for the Sahara Hotel in 83. Uh-huh. And the first act I contacted was BB because BB lived here, and he gave me a deal, twenty thousand for the week, seven days, two weeks in a row, and uh, the hotel went for it. They went for it, and uh, I said, let's put him in the lounge. I says because 
Maybe you'll draw so many people, you'll have a crowd in your gambling casino downstairs. So they right. said, no, you're crazy. We won't be able to handle the crowd. What do you mean you won't be able to handle the crowd? The casino. They'll be gambling and everything. There was another guy that uh, didn't understand what I was trying to create. Create a crowd. Create some action, you know. But the end result was they put him in the main room, and he drew over 3,000 people, around 33, 3,400 3, 3, 3, 3, 3, 3, 3, people like that. So, wow. Yeah. Well, B.B. King the, could draw them, that's for sure. Yeah, the lounge held 200 people. So we would have created such a, a confusion that the, the backup would have been into the casino. And yeah. they would have had a big uh, showing. Uh, the casino would be jumping. The hotel would be jumping. But they don't want to do that, which are other people that don't understand. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But uh, that's uh, I was trying to create the business for the lounge and the casino. That leads me so, to another question, Rudy. Um, speaking of that, the uh, capacity of that place out in Vegas, how many people did the uh, Sugar Shack hold? The Sugar Shack, you wouldn't believe it seated about 200, uh, 260 or 70 people. But the bars, I had two big bars front and back that could swallow up about 200 people in each bar. And the, the back bar could swallow up easier, another 100 or better. So, so, you, you uh, could, so you could squeeze in almost 500 people. Oh, easy. Yeah, close to 500 people a show we used to have. And then right. a lot of them didn't leave. So uh, whatever left, you know, the most we ever did, I, I remember, was a dollar ahead with 900 people cooling the game. Uh-huh. That was it. Some of them, the Four Tops, Jackie Wilson, and uh, it was unbelievable. Champagne night with Jackie Wilson. All the champagne was gone. Oh, you must have had a big crowd for Jackie Wilson, huh? Oh, it was unbelievable. But it was more of a, a mixed crowd, and it was a, a very nice crowd, a sit-down crowd and all that, you know? Yeah, That's where yeah. The they were all drinking champagne. Wow. Wow, that's fantastic. He was an unbelievable showman. Oh, it was unbelievable. Between, between his dance moves and uh, back over flips and, of course, the way he could sing, he was he was fantastic. Yeah, he was fantastic. You know something? If he didn't pass away, he would have been a superstar. Yeah, exactly. He should have been. Well, the drugs kind of so, do, do, uh, did him in, too. Uh, you know, he was on he was on a lot of drugs and... I well, think no, uh, his his health was kind of going downhill. Yeah, some of the, some of the soul acts were getting real, real uh, big, you know, and uh, he would have been a superstar, Jackie Wilson. He had the class. Yeah. He had the talent. He could sing and he could dance. Yep, he could do it all. That's for sure, and the crowd loved him. Uh, listen, Tom and, and Rudy, I'm going to get interrupted. So if you want to continue without me, 
for a few minutes, and you, if do you want me to hang on the line, or do you want me to uh, call back? Hey, you take care of business. Don't go away, because this is a great time. So if you can come back, please come back. Okay, so I'll just hold. Uh, we'll hold the yeah. phone open, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. Great. Right. Good enough. All right. Go ahead. And keep talking to Rudy. Yep. Skip, if you don't come back, it was nice talking to you. Look forward He's to going to come back. Stuff. I'm going to, uh, All right, I'm going to mute you. him. So. I'll be back, Rudy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll mute you, so uh, we'll pick you up when you come back. That's, uh, What's the record of the day, Tom? What's that, buddy? What's the record of the day? Oh, 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 oh. You know something? Uh, we played it last week. I'm going to play it again. I mean, this is a show where both both you and Skippy are uh, experts, experts, absolute experts on sweet soul music. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Hang on. we got to say hi to Billy. Billy's, what's the matter, Billy? You just getting up? What's happening? No, man, I'm a busy guy. I don't get to sleep in like you guys. How's everybody doing? Happy New Year. <laughs> Say hi to Rudy. We're having a heck of a show. Skippy White, I don't know if you've been listening. Skippy White's on. No, I haven't been listening. I was in a meeting. I've been running around. But, oh, Skippy White from what? Dudley's, right? Dudley Square? Skippy White Records? Well, now he's in Eggleston, but uh, he's uh, he was on the show. We, he's been Rudy and he have been talking up a storm. We're hearing all wow. about it. And just say hi to oh, Rudy. Say, Rudy and Billy, say hi to George Wilson, who's listening Live in Dominican Republic right now. He can't speak, oh. but he's uh, he's listening. Hola, George. Cohiba for me, will you? George, take me back a Cuban cigar. If they yeah. have. A whole <laughs> case of them. <laughs> I don't want hey, you to You know, I think they got Cuban cigars there. Yeah, oh, yeah, That's sure they do. How you doing, Rudy? Good, 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 good to, is this George, right? Yeah, this is No, this is, uh, George can't call in, he's, he, he can't call in from the Dominican Republic, he's, he's too cheap. <laughs> he doesn't want to use his minutes, he doesn't want to call international, so, but, uh, we got Billy, we got oh, Billy. 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 I'm good, pal, I can't complain, any day above ground is good. How's your boy, Jerry Maffeo? I haven't heard from him. I talked to him uh, about a week or two ago so we can get him on uh, an interview in his uh, cigar shop here in the North End. And he said, whenever you guys are ready, him and uh, Eddie Barnett are willing to, you know, take uh, part in the interview. And, yeah, he's doing good. You know, Jerry, he got more stories than the Prudential Building. He's got more <laughs> stories than the got liver pills. Uh, who are you talking about? Are you talking about me? I'm back. We got a guy named Billy Porter who uh, is on the line. Billy's writing a play called Back to the Sugar Shack, and oh, wow. uh, he hung around. Yeah, hung around a guy named Jerry Maffeo who was Rudy's partner for years, and yeah. uh, so we're all together. We're building up quite a troop here. We've uh, uh, just this thing is growing bigger and bigger. And as I said to you, um, we want to come by the shop. And uh, yeah. talk to you about all of the things you're telling us today. And because you're a legend, and you're a, you know, nobody knows more about soul music than you, being on WYLD. And yep. my buddy George just uh, texted me from 
Dominican Republic, we may even talk to you about narrating some of this documentary for us. Okay. I'll be willing to, to work on that for you. Um, you know, another thing I didn't mention to you before, I don't think I mentioned it uh, when we we talked before, Tom, and uh, you too, Rudy, I'm writing a book. Yeah, I'm writing. It's, you know, autobiographical, but it's about, you know, my career or my whole history in the record business and radio and so forth and uh, going all the way back to the beginning and bringing you all the way through all the years in the record biz. Wow, that's cool. That's the book I want to read. Yeah, <laughs> me too. And, and the Sugar Shack got to be proud of that, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Just call me if I can help in any way. I will. I will. I, I appreciate that, Rudy, yes, because there's probably things that, you know, maybe I'll need a little uh, memory refresher. Right. That's good. Hey, I was talking about, we were speaking of uh, Jackie Wilson. I got an article here in the in the Las Vegas entertainment section that the hologram tour star oh. and r Star Jackie Wilson. He's going uh-huh. to be going on tour with a hologram USA technology in a full stage show. Touring of, they're going to tour America in 216. Wow. Jackie, wow. Jackie was known as Mr. Excitement. Right. Yeah. That, that's so somebody that, that they really should make a movie. Uh, they, they should make a biopic about his life. Oh, yeah, he was. I've got to tell you a story. My good buddy, uh, Alton Hardaway, who I met, didn't meet. We were in Parallel Lives in Roxbury. We were at the Riverly Theater as kids. We uh, were at the Sugar Shack together. Never met until we were in mid-50s. And he saw Jackie Wilson at the Donnelly Theater. Uh, remember that right on Mass Ave? I remember the Donnelly Theater. I saw a lot of acts there, yes. I yeah, saw and Jack Charles, Wilson. Jackie Wilson and a bunch of other people. Yeah, well, Jackie Wilson, you may have been there the night it happened. He threw, Jackie Wilson threw his jacket into the, I think it was a purple jacket, and he threw it into the audience. And Alton describes it. He was, at that time, a little smaller than all of his friends, but all of his friends went to, uh, to the show, and Alton caught the jacket. And he says, I had it, and I'm screaming, I got Jackie Wilson's jacket. And the next thing you know, there was about ten fists, in his face, and the jacket was gone. <laughs> he said, so much for my friends. <laughs> he says, I, I owe Jackie Wilson's jacket for about 10 seconds. <laughs> wow. He should have kept his mouth shut. Yeah, I think that, well, it was pretty obvious where it landed. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, well, I, mean, I, I sort of remember that because Jackie was would do that a lot on all his performances, and I saw Jackie Wilson a number of times. I saw him not only at the Donnelly but also at the uh, Boston Arena on St. Patal Street. Uh, WILD brought him in two or three times, and uh, the, you know the place was always packed, and he was always throwing some of his clothes out into the audience. Wow! So he sold out the arena. That's amazing. Yeah, Boston Arena, that, that held somewhere between six and 8,000 people. Oh, I know, I know. I yep. spent many an afternoon watching great hockey in there. So, did, was he alone, or did he have a review? 
oh, well, it wasn't his review. It was a program that was put together by WILD. <clears throat> there was uh, other performers. Uh, I'm trying to remember some of the people. I think um, uh, Wilbert Harrison. Wilbert Harrison was on the show. I think Big May Bell might have been on the show. Uh, and there was one or two groups who I'm not sure I remember right now, but uh, it, it was a pretty good-sized show. I mean, there, there, there was a good five or six acts, and he was yeah, that, Did that disc jockey from New York free or something? Did he have them on tour or something? He used to tour some of those uh, hit record artists. You're talking about Alan Freed? Yeah, Alan Freed. Did he have, like... Uh, uh, he had some touring shows with all like uh, five or six of the acts that had his records. Well, that's true. But um, the last Alan Freed show I remember that came to Boston, um, there was a problem, as a matter of fact, and that would have been in the late 50s. That was about 58, I think. Uh, wow. And it, it came here, and I think there was a near riot. They yeah. had a riot, and I don't know, they had... They had to give money back, or there were people who were screaming for their money back, and uh, there was a big problem uh, with it. And uh, as a matter of fact, Alan Freed never wanted to come back to Boston after that. Well, one thing that Tom Hayes brings out is the crowd that set the Sugar Shack, a mixed crowd. We had bad guys, good guys, pimps, prostitutes. And everybody behaved, right, Tom? Unbelievable. Well, you know, you can ask Skippy because he saw it. Right, Skip? Right. Well, see, here's, here's what happened. You had riots here in the Boston area in 1967 and again in 1968. Now, in 67, uh, I think it was the welfare moms up there on uh, Grove Hall on Blue Hill Avenue that uh, started that riot. And it went down, and they burned a lot of stores and, uh, you know, ruined a lot of uh, businesses along Blue Hill Avenue. Uh, and that was after that you started to have what you call white flight, where a lot of the uh, Jewish-owned businesses along Blue Hill Avenue closed up shop because of that, and they moved out to the suburbs. Now, in 68, with the assassination of uh, Martin Luther King, uh, you had more riots. Of course, James Brown... Uh, did his part to try to quell that by going on uh, Channel 2 and uh, having his uh, show at the Boston Garden uh, on television, and it's kept a lot of people home, and, and, and maybe it, it sort of kept the peace. But still, they were rioting, and I was uh, in business. As a matter of fact, the record store was open during both riots, 67 and 68. I would look out my front window and watch them turn cars over and see them throw bricks through the other uh, businesses across the street and on the left and on the right of me, but they'd come in my store and they'd just ask me if I had the latest James Brown record. (laughs) (laughs) They never had any problems. But the the problem that happened after that is that not only did you have white flight on the uh, businesses uh, in Roxbury and and, and, uh, on Blue Hill Avenue and so forth, but you also had uh, a lot of the, the white folks who used to come to Louis Lounge, Basin Street South, used to come to um, some of the businesses in Roxbury, 
wouldn't come anymore. So therefore, the Sugar Shack benefited from all that because you were downtown and you were in sort of neutral ground. And so if if, um, a white person, no matter where they lived, uh, wanted to see Al Green or Jackie Wilson or whoever you might have booked at the Sugar Shack, uh, they they certainly wouldn't come to Louis Lounge or Basin Street South anymore, but they would come to the Sugar Shack. Wow. When we had, when we had James Brown, I forgot the date when we had James Brown, and the first thing he told the audience, you people better behave in this club because this guy has done a great deal for the Soul Axe and the Black Axe. He says, so make sure you respect this place. He yeah, gave a, he gave a real big speech on protecting the sugar shack. Well, you know, James Brown was a great spokesman for he was, his he people. Was he was guy. he was really the spokesman for uh, Black America. Um, as a matter of fact, I was telling Tom that uh, my standing order with the distributor when I got a phone call and the distributor said, "Skippy, I got a new James Brown 45 releasing." My standing order before I ever heard it before I even knew the name of it, was a 1,000 copies. Wow. That's how well I was selling James Brown in those days. You know, James James Brown never forgot uh, Sugar Shack and me. My wife, uh, when we were at at the Sahara doing the shows, he was in the casino. And my wife goes up to him and says, I'm Rudy Garino's wife. Hi. And he turned around. Who? Rudy Garino? Where is he? Get him! Get him! Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? He did a whole <laughs> in the casino. He disrupted the whole casino. So my <laughs> wife called me. Uh, I was in the room getting ready to come down. She says, hurry up, come down. James Brown is going crazy here screaming your name all over the place. <laughs> wow. So when I get down, he's hugging me and he's doing. This is the greatest guy in the world. He's doing a whole big rap in the in the casino with everybody watching. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he James was, Brown uh, didn't forget his friends. Yeah, he was a fun guy and uh, a nice guy. And what else can we say? Did you uh, meet him, Gippy? You must have met him. <laughs> Well, actually, I met him more on the telephone than I did in person. I met him maybe uh, once when I went back to his dressing room on one of the shows that he gave here in Boston, because uh, he used to come to Boston a lot. I, I go all the way back to, um, I think it was 1958 or 59. Um, he was at Hibernian Hall, second floor. Hibernian Hall. Oh. Hibernian Hall is, right? Yeah, down in the W Street. Yeah, well, James Brown was that's there. That's where I grew up. Well, that's, yes, uh, that's where I first saw James Brown. As a matter of fact, I also saw Hank Bell of the Midnighters. And, uh, oh, Hank my God, what a great the, act they were. I saw yeah, them he, at UMass. He introduced a new song that, that uh, he was trying to plug, but the flip side was the uh, the side that King Records wanted to promote. And he was he was uh, he sang this song called "The Twist." Oh, <laughs> and amazing! Me, it Before didn't, go, it didn't really go over that big at the time. Amazing. But James Brown used to come to Hibernian Hall, and I saw a couple of saw him a couple of times there. 
And that was around you know, the was, time I think he had, had a no idea album. that was going on. I would have been 10 years, 11 years old, living right uh, three blocks away from yeah. that club. That's in fact my father, my uncle owned the Hibernia at one time, and, and it was a pool hall in there. And wow. my uh, my father worked there. So that's how, and my mother, of course, frequented the place. So you know, you're talking right the roots of of Roxbury and in my weaning. You know, I was weaned on all that stuff as a kid. So this is great stuff. In fact, yeah. Billy, what my buddy um, Ralph Peace recommended that we. I guess the Hibernia has done over a lot of the building, and it's a great place to put on a play. So when you start to either do readings or even start to play up, the Hibernia would be a great place. And now that you're listening to these stories, you can see yeah. the roots that come back. Yeah, yeah, it's been done awesome. over, so it looks a lot better now because uh, it had fallen into disrepair over the years. But it only, the problem is it only holds about 300 people. Oh, okay. Well, that'd be oh. big enough for a play. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Absolutely. You know, well, that's what I James mean, I was drawing in those days, 300 people. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. Now, you, uh, Skip, you've seen the uh, the movie Get On Up, right? We're about James yes, Brown? Yes, of course. Yeah, I've also yeah, saw, I mean, just, I yeah, also saw the new documentary, Mr. Dynamite, that they just put out. That's that's uh, very well done. Yeah, that's the documentary. Yeah, Mr. Dynamite. Get on up was the uh the, the movie that they movie. they did on his life, yeah. And the documentary I, I, some, I saw some, the part, some parts of it I didn't like. I, I liked most of it, but uh there were some parts I didn't care for. I wasn't right. crazy about the opening scene. Him with the gun and those people in the room. Yeah, I, I right, right, crazy right, about right, that right. And, and I wasn't crazy near the end when he did try me live. Rather than using the original, try me. Yeah, I I just yeah. didn't understand why they they did that. You know, of, of all you know, I like to ask this of people calling of all the acts, and you know, we always come to the same thing. There was no way to measure one act over the other. But did you have a favorite act at the Sugar Shack? A favorite act. Um. Well, I definitely liked Al Green, and I also liked Joe Tex. Hey, uh, Joe Tex, that's a name you
interviewed me about his father, and I told him he's a great guy, and uh, he says he's trying to get him in the Hall of Fame or something, and uh, he hasn't succeeded in uh, anything I can do. I says, well, anything I can do, just call me if I can uh, do anything uh, to vouch for him uh, what a great entertainer he was, you know? Right. That was it. Huh. Yeah, well, his son is there kicking from his son, huh? I don't know yeah. if I ever met his son. I know I met I met a bunch of young uh, people that he had out in uh, California, uh, but I think it was a gospel group that he was trying to put together, sort of similar in fashion to uh, New Edition and New Kids on the Block, but they were doing gospel. Yeah. Well, anyway. Anyways, I think he was touring with Jackie Wilson's kid, Bobby uh, something. Oh, Bobby yeah. Brooks Wilson. That's, his, uh, that's Jackie's kid. Oh, okay. Well, I've, I've heard that uh, Jackie's kid uh, can, can hit those high notes similar to Jackie. I've yeah. never seen him, but that's what they tell me. Yeah, that's what they tell me. And oh. uh, looking forward to that hologram tour to see Jackie Wilson again. They probably yeah. got all this type shots, huh? Uh, I'm telling you, Jackie was the greatest. He was he really, oh, he, he was really the one. They they give James Brown the credit, but they but you really got to look at Jackie Wilson as uh, the guy he was, that influenced uh, Michael Jackson's uh, dance moves. Yeah, I heard it was it was clip. Jackie. I heard a clip of Elvis talking about Jackie Wilson. He didn't know who he was at the time. But he was talking to the Memphis Mafia, and he said, man, there was this cat on the, uh, he says, I caught in a club. It might have been in Memphis. And he said, this cat could, I think he sang Blue Suede Shoes. And he said, this cat, he says, I'm telling you, man, this kid, cat hit, hit notes that I couldn't even begin to touch. And he just went on and on about Jackie Wilson. Uh, yeah. So Elvis loved him, and he knew the amazing talent he had. Yeah. And how about his dance steps? How about oh, dancing just, while he was singing? You said he could do a backflip? He could do it, yeah, right. His, part of his uh, his act, he would do a backflip. Can you imagine Unbelievable. that? Imagine. You know, speak, you know, speaking of Jackie Wilson, I got another story. He yeah. used to be represented by some good fellas in New York. And they used good, to call good me. Good fellas? Yeah, good yeah, fellas. Yeah, he means wise guys. <laughs> that's Rudy's uh, uh, word for wise guys <laughs> Gangsters I see uh, Well, you know what I thought you were going to say I thought you were going to say he was represented by Nat Tonopole Nat Tonopole was a uh, kind of a gangster Well, uh, the, uh, he might have uh, he might have represented him early but when I had him uh, the real ones called me and uh Rudy, you gotta make sure nobody bothers Jackie. Nobody bothers him. He's safe here. Don't worry, we'll take care of him. Yeah. And uh, the end result was, for, we had him twice. I think we took care of him, and then I had a problem trying to get Al Green. Okay. This good fella, call, uh, I called the good fella, and I said, hey, you guys got any connections with Al Green? Yeah, he says, you want Al Green? I says, yeah. 
I says, the agent is giving me a hard time. He says, uh, he's too big for the sugar shack. He says, let me call you right back. Calls me right back. He says, what date do you want? Any date, I says. <laughs> wow. So they gave me a date. They gave me a date for $20,000 for the week. Yeah. I called the agent up and I says, hey, put Al Green in at this date. He says, Rudy, I told you, you can't have him. He's too big. So I says, well, put him in and check out the story, I says. He calls me back. Who do you know? How did you do this? How did you do it? I became <laughs> I became with the agency. So that was my Jackie Wilson story. That's right. how I got free through them. I see. Well, so, uh, so you Sandy, must, have had, you must have had Jackie in the early, probably the early part of the 70s, huh? Yeah. Uh, I got to look up my, uh, my I think it was like six, I have his late six, it was 67, 67, 68. Oh, maybe, maybe you had him in the, the latter part of the 60s or very yeah. early 70s. Yeah. When did he die, uh, Skippy? When did he die? Well, he had the stroke. He had the stroke in uh, 75, and he was in a coma from 75 to, I think, 84. Wow. 84, he, yeah. he, he finally passed away. Did he have oh, the stroke? Oh, that's tragic. Did he, was he working on a nightclub in New Jersey or something? He was uh, yeah that the uh, the stroke happened on stage the second show at Cherry Hill New Jersey. Wow! wow. Yeah, he had a stroke up in New Jersey. Yeah, he probably yeah. was trying to do a back over flip. Wow! I wonder who was done a biopic on him. Jesus! Wow! Yeah. Tragic, tragic, I, tragic. I got a question, guys, off the right. Uh, did I hear that uh, Mr. Nicholas Caldwell from The Whispers passed away also recently? Yeah. yeah. Who, who was that again? Who was that again? Uh, One uh, of the Whispers passed away. One of the Whispers? Yeah. One of the Whispers. They passed away. Eddie LaVette, the OJs, told me yesterday. And one of the pips, one of the pips from Gladys Knight passed. That I heard about. I heard one of the pips, one of her uh, relative cousin, is it, that uh, yeah. was in the pips that passed away. But I didn't know uh, about the whispers uh, yeah. of the passing Nick, away. Nick, Nick Caldwell, the dance man from the Fabulous Whispers. Fact, yeah, I heard he passed away. It happened a couple of days ago because I spoke to Eddie Levent, I think, uh, a couple of days ago. And he wow. told me he passed just a couple of days ago, one of the whispers. Yeah, Okay. Yeah, they they still uh, get big money, the OJs, huh? You know, I talked to Eddie a lot, and uh, one day I said, Eddie, what kind of money are you getting? He says, don't ask. <laughs> <laughs> don't ask. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> You'll have a heart attack when you hear the price. <laughs> he says, I'll walk. And he insisted. He's not going to tell me. He says, you won't believe it, he says. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, you know, he's well, what, what, do you think, what do you think they're getting, 35? Oh, uh, yeah, around there, around there, at least 20, 25. They got yeah. I don't know. I'm out of touch with these prices. 
Yeah, I, I think he's I think he's getting somewhere between twenty five and thirty five. All right. <laughs> and, and the whispers get get close to that money too, don't they? Yeah, well, you know something. A lot of these soul acts that are working, they have a lot of work because there's uh, no other groups that can work with that kind of money. All these groups are superstars. They yeah. make one ring, they become a superstar. Yeah. So these wow. uh, groups are still working. Yeah, well, there's right. so many of them have passed away that there aren't that many to, uh, you know, original acts that you can pick from anymore. Yeah, well, we saw uh, There's a lot of them. Uh, there's uh, at least 20 of them that I know are still working. 20 of them, huh? Yeah. Oh, okay. What's that, what's that girl's name, Jimmy Mack? Uh, oh, Martha Reeves? I told I was speaking to a representative. She was in England, touring in England. Uh, huh. A while back, I was trying to. She's working. Uh, a lot of them. Well, you know, they don't have the full group, but some of them are still using the names, like the Spinners are still out there, the Dramatics, the Ohio Players. Right. Yeah. Even though a lot of the original people are gone. Yeah, probably the originals are gone. Betty Le- Betty Levette wasn't really a big name, but she's uh, she's still out there working. You remember Who's her? That? Betty Ooh. Betty Levette. Oh, Betty Betty Wright. Are you thinking about Betty Wright? No, I'm thinking of Betty Levette, but Be- Betty Wright might be uh, still out there working too. Yeah, she's still working. She works for me and uh, everything, and uh, I try to give her. You know, I was handling her for a while. I was her manager because she lives in Miami. Oh, and, right. Uh, one day I says, Betty, you know, on stage you're dynamite. But on your records, uh, I don't know, they're not kicking ass. So <laughs> what are you getting at? I says, why don't you record the Jackie Wilson number higher and higher? She says, that's a guy's song. I says, don't be silly. I said, that's a, that's a good song to re-record from a girl's standpoint. She said she wouldn't do it. She yes, wouldn't then, do it, huh? She wouldn't do it about five or six months later. Rita Coolidge, uh, who, her, who, who her and her husband, Chris Christopherson, were in the Sugar Shack for maybe a whole week. They were at the Cape. Huh. And... And then they used to come in the sugar shack about three or four times in the week that they were here. She did a soft version, Skippy. You should remember the record. Your love keeps lifting me higher. A soft version, and it went to number one. Do you remember that yeah, one? Yeah. No, I, yeah. I didn't do that much with the Rita Coolidge. I don't sell that type of music. No, I'm yeah. saying, but she was number one with the record. And then Betty listened to me. And I said, no, you're listening. Yeah, any other ideas? I said, yeah, we're going to do, we're going to do a live album at the Swinger. Okay? She says, all right. We did a live album at the Swinger. She gave me a plaque and sold a million records with, with the, the record and me thank Rudy Garino and this and that. And then she says, Rudy? I have to leave you out of sheer necessity. I says, good. 
You owe me some money. Pay me the money. Or go wherever you want to go. Because if you can't appreciate what I've done for you, thank you very much, and you're on your way. So <laughs> wow. <laughs> I get a call for some good fellas in New York. Are you happy? Uh, are you uh, mad that Betty wants to leave you this and that? No, I'm very happy as long as I get my money. And he says, and you have no regrets? No regrets. No regrets. I says, after all I did for her, she wants to leave me. She's more than welcome. I kissed me, and that was it. Wow. Great story. Well, you know, speaking about, George just texted me from the Dominican Republic, and he wants me to mention, and right in step with those names, uh, poor Natalie Cole, um, you know, passed away this week, too. And uh, Natalie was one of the – Rudy gave Natalie her first gig. Ah. Yeah. Okay. So you you had Natalie Cole at the uh, Sugar Shack also? Yeah, she was – I gave her her first professional date. The agent says, uh, Natalie Cole wants to go on – wants to make an appearance, her first appearance. This is good. So we booked her in – she did so good, and I booked her also in Miami. In Miami, at the club there, we gave her two dates. Ah, okay. Twenty-five. Yeah, she was a student at Harvard, right, Rudy? No, no she, she was. Going, she went. Didn't you go to uh, um, uh, University of Massachusetts? Yeah. Oh, maybe you're right. To, yeah, she was living in Cambridge, though. Yeah, that's right. Well, her mother was from Boston. Wow. Her mother was from the Boston area. Uh, you know, Nat King Cole had uh, married a Boston lady. I didn't know that. Oh, speaking of Nat King Cole, when I, I was out there on 59 in Vegas. Yeah. I was out palling around with Jerry Vale, the singer. And uh, he says, I'm going to Vegas. You want to come? I'm going to do a couple of weeks in the lounge. So I says, yeah. I, I went there and... Uh, was that breakfast in the morning there in uh, Robert Monica, the comedian who used to be on the Joey Bishop show? Yeah. Remember him? Yeah, vaguely. Yep. One day he introduces me to Robert, uh, to Nat King Cole. And I had breakfast with him maybe five, six times while I was there, you know, and we used to chew the fat and everything else. Very nice guy. And then when he came to Boston, I went to see him, and uh, he welcomed me with open arms backstage, huh. you know. When he yeah. was at Blinstrom's, he went to Blinstrom's. You remember Blinstrom's? I do remember Blinstrom's. Actually, I was going to bring it up early on in the conversation when you were talking about, uh, you know, some of the uh, the pop and rock acts, uh, and, and that was really the place that, that booked, you know, the big pop Acts, yeah, um, back in the 50s and 60s, and it was so cheap you wouldn't believe it. I think it was 750 and a dinner, yeah, dinner show. Rudy, yeah, did you know it was the place for a while? Yeah, Rudy, What's did that? you know Blinstrup? No, I never met him. No, I didn't know him. Okay, how about you, Skippy? Did you ever meet him? No, no, I never met him, never okay. did. It was, well, um, but it was a, it was a famous club. It was a famous place. Right. Oh it was yeah. A famous. Well, 
And it was a famous place to be out of the way. I think it was in South Boston, right? That's right. Uh, yeah, exactly. South Boston. I got a story. Billy's Billy's a South Boston boy, and I hung out here during my uh, my teen years. And all my buddies, <laughs> they had a little business going. Remember this? Well, it's too young for you, Billy. You were too young. You weren't even around. They used to go down <clears throat> the, when all the acts were there. And they'd grab all the local st- um, businesses, the garages, everything, everything that had a parking lot. And they'd run down there with flashlights and they'd drag five bucks, five bucks. And they'd stand, stand in the empty parking lot they didn't even belong to. They'd t- make a ton of money and run. <laughs> Everybody would say, you want our keys? You want our keys? No, no, keep the keys, keep the keys. <laughs> Uh, in a couple of hours, they'd make a couple of hundred bucks and screw. <laughs> yeah, they, they were they were still doing that in the '80s too, man. I'll let them fool you. <laughs> you know, Chuck, so, I that was a tough place to park. There was no parking space, and that that Blimson's area. Right. So the, they used to fill it up. The um, in the nobody ever caught on. The local businesses never thought about you know, coming around in a an evening and, and selling out their, their parking lot. The kids used to do it. That's funny. Oh, yeah. so, so, Skippy, you must have had tons of artists come to the studio to WILD during the years. I did. Actually, I had artists that came to both WILD and the studios, and we did interviews with them, and also a number of them would come in the store and do an in-store appearance. You know, wow. I had everybody from, uh, oh, I had uh, Otis Redding come by one day. Unbelievable. Uh, Unbelievable. James Brown. You saw Otis uh, at Louis Lounge, right? Uh, yeah, that's that's when I was uh, in between uh, Louis Lounge and Basin Street South. I was at 1820 Washington Street. Right You're there, talking uh, about a legend. I mean, that, that matter guy. Matter of fact, uh, you know who used to come by and uh, he used to pull up in a limousine and uh, it was double. It would double park out in front of my store, and he would come running in. And uh, usually, before he came, he would call me. And when when the phone rang and I answered the phone, he'd say, "This is TC." And I'd say to myself, "Who the hell is TC? I don't know who TC is." <laughs> Ended up being Tony Curtis when he was in oh. town doing the Boston Strangler. And oh, Tony, yeah, Tony yeah. Curtis was a great fan of uh, rhythm and blues and soul music. He used to come by and buy Otis Redding records and James Brown and so forth. And he would come in the store quite a bit during that time that they were making that movie. Amazing. You know, speaking, of, speaking, of people oh, cool. in, speaking of people that came in, I told Tom a while back that one of the Blue Notes, Teddy Pendergrass. You remember Teddy Pendergrass? I certainly do remember Teddy Pendergrass. As a matter of fact, I remember Teddy when he was just a drummer. You know, yeah. he started as a drummer. Right, and with the Blue Notes, and then he started singing with them. Yep. <laughs> and then one day they were appearing at the club, and a motorcycle cop, one of those tactical forces, had yeah. his head had his face and head right in the seat of the of the motorcycle. I said, hey, what the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> Let this guy go. This guy's my star singer. He's yeah, a yeah. nasty bastard. He, he, he doesn't <laughs> respect that. I said, I don't give a fuck. Let him go. So, <laughs> wow. 
Cincinnati. I don't think so. We might have to bleep that out, Rudy. <laughs> yeah, I got, it, brought back, it brought back memories of uh, the incident. I got so excited. So they let him go. They said, all right, we're doing it for you, but he's a nasty bastard. So to make a long story short, to make a long story short, he leaves he leaves the blue note and becomes a solo of Big Star. Yeah. So all of a sudden, like you said earlier, like Tony, the limousine pulls up. I'm in the I'm in my office in Miami, and we have the office facing the driveway. All of a sudden, I see a big ass Royal Royce pull up. I says, "Who the hell is this guy?" And it comes out, it's Teddy Pendergrass. Ah. And he comes, he comes in to say hello and everything. He says, Rudy, I'm going to do you a favor. I says, what's the favor? He says, <laughs> he says I'm going to be in the Bahamas New Year's Eve. So I'm going to give you the week up to New Year's Eve. But after, he says, I don't want to die. <laughs> I said, are you kidding me? He says, no. He says, I don't want to die. I says, Okay. So all of a sudden, about a few weeks later or something, he back. He says, Rudy, I canceled. Are you on? Are we on? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah we're, we're here. here. We're here. I canceled the date, Rudy, New Year's Eve. You got the whole week, seven days, for nothing. I said, now, wait a minute. Cut the shit out. I said, you got to <laughs> I says, let me let me pay the expense. He says, uh, nothing, nothing. So the day came when we were uh, the end of the engagement, and then we had a tremendous week. I says, here, twenty thousand. He says, he didn't even want it. I says, take it for the expense. So he finally took it, and that was it. He did me a favor. He's one of the only guys that ever worked for me for nothing. Well, yeah. few. So that was the that was the story of the limousine pulling up. Well, he must wow. have he must have uh, got all the women to come out, right? Oh Jesus! They helped him. <laughs> yeah. What happened to him is a crying shame. Yeah, you know, uh, I don't know why I'm asking this, but I just feel I have to. What about Gamble and Huff? Did they ever? They came to visit Rudy in Boston. Did they ever come to Wild? You know, some we had a lot of clubs. We had the guy from the Apollo Theater. I forgot his name. And then we had another guy from uh, that owned the show bar up in Canada that used to use the soul acts. Gambling Hop came in. And what's his yep. Jimmy Brown, the football player, came. He used to manage the Friends of Distinction. And uh, Don Cornelius came, too. They all wondered how I was buying James Brown in this little club. <laughs> I said, some people remodel their club or their business. I want to give. Uh, I want to work for James Brown and break even and give the people a treat. That was it. Wow. Well, yeah, I don't think Gamble and Huff ever came to WILD that I remember. Oh, they okay. came to the act. In fact, I even told them in the early stages, I said, you got two good acts. I said, you should write some music. We're trying. He said, they had the OJs and the Blue Notes. 
Then they yeah. wrote the two hits for them. They wrote Backstabber, and then they wrote the other one for the Blue Notes, uh, If You Don't Know Me By Now. Right, they yep. Finally well, they also wrote you. Love Train. What? They wrote Love Train. Yeah, yeah. Love Train, Love Train by the OJs. That was a big one. Yeah, so they, after they I left two groups, we had a nice conversation with them. That was it. They got lucky. Yeah. Amazing. And, so, uh, the, so Skippy, the what was Otis Redding like? I mean, talk about a legend, my God. Yeah, I, oh. he was a legend. Well, actually, <laughs> uh, you go, you may crack up when I tell you this. Well, the reason he came by the store wasn't because of me or the store. He came by to ask directions to Louie's Lounge. <laughs> Which was what? Right it was only a block away. So he came in and he says, uh, "Do you know where uh, this place, Louis Lounge, is?" He's, "I'm supposed to be staying there because they had rooms upstairs over Louis Lounge, where some of the acts would stay." And you know, this was back in the early days. Otis wasn't making a lot of money, and wow. uh, this was probably like '63. Uh, wow. '62, '63. Yeah. I mean. Um, you know, his uh, first big hit didn't hit until uh, 62. So by 63, still, you know, he was on the, the so-called Chitlin circuit. And Louis yeah. Lounge was part of that. That's what you call the Chitlin circuit. The Did they ever uh, refer to uh, Sugar Shack as a Chitlin circuit, Rudy? Yeah, the Blue Notes. Uh, when they got the big record, they come in and give me some shit. He left. They gave me some shit, and I says, what the hell is this all about? He said, yeah, this is a chitlin' joint. Listen, you fucking assholes, I said, believe me. I, I bailed you out of trouble in Miami. They opened for me in Miami. And they're yeah. all in jail. <laughs> no, they were at the hotel, and the hotel was going to arrest them. For, who was uh, in jail? Who'd you say? No, no wait a minute. They were at the Newport Hotel. Uh, the, I think it was the Newport or the, Cast, the, the Castaway. Yeah. They were open for me New Year's Eve in Miami Beach at the Swinger Club. And uh, they couldn't pay their hotel bill, and the owner of the hotel called me. And uh, he was going to have them arrested. I said, no, no, no. Uh, they're going to open for me next week. I said, I'll take care of the bill. Don't worry about it. Send me the bill. I forgot what it was. So when they were at the Sugar Shack and they, was, they had the hit record, they started acting. They told me the word, Chitlin' Giant. What the fuck is Chitlin' Giant? What is this? <laughs> I love it. Well, you weren't actually the Sugar Shack. I wouldn't consider that exactly a, a Chit, Chitlin Circuit club because the Chitlin Circuit, for the most part, were clubs or small places that uh, acts performed in that were mostly in the black part of town. And you were downtown, so that sort of put you in a different perspective than than the normal Chitlin Circuit club. So. What do you think happened? So I ended up, before you know it, on the weekends, they wouldn't go on or something. I threw them out, and uh, I knew I was going to have trouble with them. 
And uh, what happened is I had the log standing by, and I couldn't take any more of their shit, and I threw them out. Oh, yeah? That's the first group I threw out of the club. Wow. 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 All right. So sometimes you had to throw a group out, huh? Oh, yeah, that was the first time. It went to their head. The records uh, went to their head. They really couldn't control themselves. They were always a nice group. I knew their manager and everything. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was... Uh, hey, you know, um, speak. I'm going to do this for you guys. We're going to take a little... If you can still stick around, Skippy, I'm going to play your favorite... Um, one of your favorite acts at the Sugar Shack. I found the song. Here we go. Hey, guys, hey guys oh. hold on. I got to bounce around. Oh, yeah. You got to take off? I got to take off, but I got some business to take care of. Skippy White, nice to hear from you. To me. Same here. And uh, Rudy and Tom, my brothers, I'll talk to you next week, my friends. Have a great week. God bless everybody. All right. We're going to have right. a little more fun here. We're going to play oh. a little Joe Tex. Oh, okay, oh, here we go. Tom, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What, Rudy? Tom, before you, before you play the record, you can write a book between Skippy Wright and the Sugar Shack. Oh, this is, uh, George, while we're on the air, George is texting me about, well, let me read you some of his texts. <laughs> he says, uh, I mean, it is a classic, uh, a classic show. He says, uh, how did he start? He goes, uh, he says, I'm listening. Then he says, this is good stuff. I wrote, unbelievable. Skippy's a pro DJ. This is another classic. Two greats. Yep. He said, we should talk to him about narrating. Possibly might work. He's a Boston staple. I write back, oh, yes. He said, that's great. This is fantastic stuff, he says. I said, epic. We're going to be famous with this documentary. And uh, so he says, that should be in his interview. We will listen back from this recording. Uh, please make sure you're recording. And then he mentioned Natalie Cole. So this is a this is a classic, classic podcast of two of Boston's amazing soul legends in that you guys were the, you know, the conduit for some of the greatest soul happenings in this city. Which record you're going to play now? You said you're going to play a record? Yeah, I'm going to play a little Joe Tex. This is live. I hope it comes out okay. Let's do this. Okay. There we go. Uh Uh-huh. Sometimes, you know, you've got an internet show. Sometimes... Somebody please take the lady with the 
Yeah, that would have been your first year in business, '67, because uh, right. he died. He died near the end of '67. Right, right. Yeah, so you would have just missed out on him. Yeah, because I was working on him. Uh, he was one of my one of my favorite acts that I wanted to play. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I went to Otis Redding's ranch that same year in August of 67. I went down to Atlanta, Georgia. They had a DJ convention down there, and they bust us out to Macon, where Otis had his ranch. And we had a big, uh, they had a big barbecue, and he had a lot of talent there. He had uh, Booker T of the MGs. Uh, who else did he have? He had, uh, I think Betty Wright was there, uh, Betty Swan. Arthur Connolly, naturally, and uh, Otis, they all performed at his ranch. That's unbelievable. Wow. I mean, so, so he, I mean, what's amazing about him, he was not only a great entertainer, but he was a businessman, it sounded like, and he started his own label. It was, yeah, yeah. I mean, he uh, he really came up fast, and uh, he was just unbelievable. I wow. heard that he drove, he drove uh a uh, fellow friend of his that was a singer to this recording company, Sax or something, or one Stax, of the recording Oh, Stax Fault, yeah, in Memphis. And before you know it, while he was there with his friend, he asked for an audition. And they finally gave him an audition, and the audition, he knocked everybody dead. And before you know it, everybody started concentrating on him. Well, and actually, was, uh, yeah, the, the story goes, Rudy, that um, he was actually the guy that carried the bags that held yeah, the instruments. Yeah. And, and in other words, when they pulled up in front of the recording studio, they opened up the trunk, and Otis was the guy that grabbed all the instruments and bags and carried them into the studio, and he st- sat around all day waiting for his chance. And, of course, the yeah. uh, recording studio... Uh, pretty much got through with what they were doing, and in fact, the uh, musicians were packing up, getting ready to leave. And Otis said, "Wait a minute, wait a minute. What about me? You haven't listened to me yet." And they, you know, they kind of fluffed them off. And finally, he sat down at the piano and he started playing and singing. And the musicians came back in and they said, "Wait a minute, wait a minute. We got to listen to this." Guy. <laughs> <laughs> and he comes up with these arms of mine. And floored everybody, and the musicians came back and played behind them, and of course, it became a hit. It became wow. history. I, I heard how old was he when, when he did, how old was he when he was discovered that that day? Uh, he was uh, twenty twenty two. So in in just four years, he accumulated that kind of wealth. Yeah, are you kidding me? He became a superstar almost overnight. Right. <clears throat> wow. Uh, well, all right, not quite, Rudy, not quite overnight, because I'm going to tell you something, and, and, and not that I'm trying to toot my own horn, but I was one of the first DJs in the country, certainly in the Northeast, to play his first hit record, These Arms of Mine, and I played it for, I'm going to say, six to eight months before, it was only on Saturday and Sunday. At that time, I had a Saturday and Sunday show, and uh, Jimmy Earlybird was on in the mornings, Monday through Friday, and Wow Man Steve was on in the afternoon, Monday through Friday. So naturally, they had the big audience, and I was playing this record, 
and it wasn't really doing all that much around the country. Uh, you know, there were some spots naturally down south where it was getting some play and some reaction, but it was building very, very slowly. Finally, Jimmy Bird came to me and he said, Skippy, what is this record you're playing on Saturday? He says, uh, people keep calling me, asking me, to co- how come I don't play it? He said, I don't even have a copy. So I got a copy for Jimmy, and he started playing it. Then Wildman Steve started playing it. And pretty soon, the record started building, and the next thing you know, it went national and became a hit. The whole thing took almost up to a year. Wow! Almost a year before it finally broke and hit the Billboard charts. It only went to uh, number 20 on the charts. It didn't go to number one. It went to number 20 on the Billboard charts. And uh, it took a long time, but it, it finally hit. So you were—I mean, in, in some, in, in even a minute way, you were—you were instrumental in making that thing catch on. Exactly. That's right. Wow. Yeah. This is—I tell you, Skippy. I mean, this is the greatest. What do you think, Rudy? Isn't this the greatest show we've ever had? Yes. But after that record took off, then he had three or four big hits after that. Oh, he, he did. Yeah, all his hits, all his uh, follow-ups all hit the charts. And, uh, and, of course, by then, it's like the whole world, uh, not the whole world, but, the, you know, everybody had discovered him because they heard this great talent. And uh, all his records did very, very well after that. Amazing. I can remember being in Bermuda in 1964, and Dock of the Bay was the number one. I think it had to be the number oh. one song in the country. No, that wasn't '64. That's really? impossible. Yeah, really. '64. He died. He died uh, in December of '67, and Dock of the Bay was released right after he died. And then he really? Did he have that? Really? Yep. Did he write the other record for Aretha Franklin? Respect well, actually, he, he originally recorded Respect uh, by Aretha. He had the original recording of it. did fairly well. It wasn't a number one hit, but I think it was it hit top five, top ten, something like that. And then, and then Aretha decided to do it in her album, and, of course, it went to number one for her. But didn't he but write they, it? I thought he wrote it. Of course he wrote it. He wrote it and originally recorded it. Yeah, that's wow. respect, respect followed up by been Loving You Too Long, which was also a pretty big hit for him. Yeah. See, he wrote his own music, too, and that's where he made a lot of money, because he owned the record rights. Yeah, wow. He the, yeah, he had the publishing and writer credits. Exactly. Is there you a documentary on him or a movie? Uh, no, they never did a... Uh, they never did a movie on him. That's somebody else they they should do a movie on besides him and Jackie oh, Wilson. All right. And Sam Cooke. His was unbelievable. Yeah, he was fantastic. I, I, I loved his recordings right from the very beginning, and that's why I oh. played that record, These Arms of Mine, for so long a time, because I believed in it. I really believed in it, and it took all oh, that time you. before I, the rest of the world finally How did you get up. the record from? Well, the record company sent you a, a sample, and you oh, just oh, of picked course, up. Of course, like, the record companies always sent promos in those days. Yeah, we got, right. we got promos on everything. Skippy, one of my favorite records of his was Mr. Pitiful. Oh, that was a good record by him. Abs- absolutely, <laughs> Mr. Pitiful. That came out 
even before uh, Respect and I've Been Loving You Too Long. That was like, uh, although all of them came, because he had such a short career, they all came between 62 and 67. That was about 65, I think. They call me Mr. Pitiful. There you go. That was a great record. That was a great record, too. Rudy remembers them. He remembers the good stuff. Well, he was in the middle of it. You know, whenever we went into the shack, it was Rudy. He was standing there, and I never met him in those days, but you knew exactly who it was. Sure. And, uh, you know, both of you guys, just the fact that, uh, you know, this is a, you know, whenever we interview the acts now, they always, we don't even solicit it, but they just come out and tell us, look, there is no music today, and we've got to get back to this great music. So we're hoping to make, an, uh, through this documentary, making people realize we've got to start singing ballads and beautiful songs again. Right, right. Well, no. the problem is today, people, they, the, the, the people today, they don't know how to write a song, number one. Number two, they're not even playing instruments. Most of the time, uh, they right. use a computer or yep. a drum machine. I mean, that's yep. not the way music is supposed to be. No, right, exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's another laugh. I want to play this. Is Rudy's chomping at the bit to hear this song. Here we go. We, we, uh, sweet soul music by Called Yay Man. Really? Is that right? 
Yeah, they just kind of filled it in and, you know, enhanced it a little bit. But uh, Otis Redding loved Sam Cooke. It could, you oh, could my hear God. A lot, of, a lot of old Sam Cooke songs were done by Otis Redding. Uh, he just, I mean, he just what loved a beautiful Sam. voice. He had a voice that rivaled Nat King Cole, Sam Cooke did. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, Sam had that smooth, real smooth uh, voice. Uh, summertime and, you know, I mean, all of the stuff he did. Did you ever get to meet him? No, I wish I had. Oh, man. Oh, oh. He died in 64. So you got to remember, he died pretty early on. Yeah, I know. No, never Boy, got that to You know, Tom, what, what got him? Did he get shot? Uh, I, I got to say that... Uh, well, he was shot by the motel manager. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, what do you want to say, Rudy? I got to say that... Uh, you keep me. You're gonna keep me. My memories alive for another week until uh, we do another show with the <laughs> the company. Yeah. I see. I can see my Arthur Connolly flying from one end of the stage to the other stage. Yeah. To the other side. He so, so you sex. brought him in. You brought in Arthur Connolly, did you? Yeah. He used to do Sam, and then he used to do, and now his name. He'd fly over the stage back and forth. It was unreal. I'm going to end with that one, Tom. I don't think we could top it. Yeah. Arthur Conley was great. Yeah. You know, he went to the Netherlands and never came back. The problem is, he's still considered a one hit wonder. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, he went to the Netherlands and never came back. Uh, No, that's right. Yeah. Well, listen, well, I got to. Yeah, I'm going to have to jump off. Yeah, I'm Skippy, you yeah, graced us. Can we do another show sometime? Yeah, sure. Sure. We Love it. Do it again. These yeah. are classic, man. These are archive quality, beautiful, beautiful stuff. Thank you so much, Skippy. Yeah, why don't you call me during the week and we'll set something up? Yeah, and we're going to have you in that documentary. You're going to be a big part of that documentary, my friend. Okay, and Rudy, it was great talking to you. We're bringing back a lot of memories, and we're going to keep on doing it. Right, right, because we've got to keep soul music alive. It's uh, uh, it's unbelievable music. And Absolutely. It was, nice, it was nice meeting you over the phone. Looking forward to meeting you someday in person. Absolutely. You're going to do it. All right, you're you're take care, it. and Tom, you too. Thank you so much, Skippy. It was a joy. And I want to thank Kathy Toppy for reminding me and telling me that I should interview Skippy, and it was because of her recommendation that I did this. And uh, she was, she and I spent many, many hours at the Sugar Shack. Hey, guys, All thanks right, so much. I'm going to have to give kudos to her. Yes, absolutely. So we'll see you uh, sometime in the future. Skippy, I'll call you during the week. Okay, Tom, take care. Take care, Rudy. Okay, Rudy, take care, buddy. All right. Thank you, everybody. God bless. All right. That's not the reason why I've got to get back up to that sugar 
on some trash You can understand why I've gotta get back up to that sugar shack Everyone, thanks so much. That was a hoot and a half. I feel so blessed and honored to be in the company of such great guys, legends. And I hope you guys are enjoying this stuff because um, it don't get much better than this. And wait till that documentary comes out. We're going to be, oh, it's just incredible. All right, thanks so much again. Everybody have a great new year. What a way to start the new year for us. And I hope 2016 is gives you blessings and health and love, especially love and light and joy. All right, take care. Thanks again. This is Tom Hayes, Uppies, Rudy Garino, Skippy White, George Wilson, Billy Porter. Thanks so much for jumping in here. Bye-bye.